Hello, 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 hello. My name is Terry and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. Today I'm chatting with someone who has already been on this podcast before for a completely different topic and that is Kat Alyoshin. Last time she was on the chat, she was joined by Spike Decker as they shared their newly released documentary, Animation Outlaws, which covered the journey of the infamous Spike and Mike Animation Festival. But this time, Kat is joining me to chat about her career as a super amazing producer who's focused on stop motion projects. She's worked on stuff like Coraline, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Monkey Bone, and many more. In fact, her career spans all the way to the 80s, where she got her start handing out flyers to the Spike and Mike Animation Festivals, while also working as a DJ at a lesbian bar where she would take tips to play requests. And just another fun fact about Kat, she is the youngest of seven and had to be super scrappy to get anything done as a kid, which is probably where she gets her spirit from. Now, one more thing I want to mention before we dive into the chat is that Kat is currently working on developing an independent feature film entirely in stop motion right now called the inventor. She's collaborating with some really big names like Jim Capobianco, who wrote Ratatouille, and Don Han, who produced The Lion King. And today she launched a Kickstarter to fund the animatic for the film, which is 98% funded already, and it's only been one day of the launch. On the Kickstarter page, Kat has included some really cool behind-the-scenes designs and test animation, and she's got animators who worked on Isle of Dogs and Fantastic Mr. Fox working on it, so you know it's going to be good. I've included links to check out the film in the description of this chat, so please check them out and maybe consider contributing to the film as well. Now, just one more thing. This episode is sponsored by my friends over at Bloop Animation, which is an animation learning platform packed with premium online video courses for aspiring animation filmmakers. They have courses for all major animation programs like Maya, Animate CC, Toon Boom, Blender, TV Paint, and many others, as well as some non-software courses like a storyboarding course, animation foundations course, and even one about making a graphic novel, which covers absolutely everything you need to know from start to finish. Their courses are all in video form, so there are no deadlines or application process. Simply just pick a course and start learning in seconds. They even offer a free ebook titled Making an Animated Short, which covers their entire process step-by-step step of how they made one of their films from coming up with the idea to storyboarding, animating, and all the way to exporting the film. And you can get that book for free at bloopanimation.com slash animation industry. And you can check out their complete course library at bloopanimation.com slash courses. And I've included all of those links as well in the description of this chat. So please check them out as well. Now let's jump right into the chat. Hi Kat, nice how's it going over there? Hi, Terry. California's doing all right, I guess, in these crazy times. Yeah, crazy times. It's very warm up here in Toronto, so I'm very happy. I love the sun. I don't know if you can see, but I have a little, it's a little red on my nose here. And this you gotta is, be careful. Actually, yeah, this is actually our second chat because we chatted about Animation Outlaws, and I'm also wearing the amazing t-shirt that you sent me here. Thank you so much. You're, thank you for wearing it and representing. I love it. That <laughs> Everett Peck design, it really stands out. Animation Outlaws, the documentary. Yeah, Thank sorry if you're you. listening and you're not familiar, um, Kat and I did a, a previous episode uh, about a documentary uh, about the Spike and Mike Animation Festival that she produced. And uh, it was quite, I saw the documentary, it's quite fantastic. It's really well done. So you should go check that out and check out our episode that we filmed together too. I'll include those links in the description. Um, so Kat, now we're gonna chat about you mainly. <laughs> How Thank does that you. feel? What do you, well, what do you... I've, I've had a long career of animation. I'm very proud of it. And uh, unfortunately, it means that I'm old. <laughs> but um, 
it's uh, it's really turned uh, into a long career since um, basically animation predominantly stop motion since 1991. Yeah. So, well, you've you've been kind of in the stop motion scene since it became a thing in feature films, right? So, uh, yeah. like, yeah, I, well, I wanted to ask you, I guess, why did you get involved in stop motion? Why has that been your thing throughout the years all the way through? So um, I, I will say and Spike will love this. Um, Spike and Mike had a big part in that because I was uh, went to UC San Diego and was studying film. I was in live action. I thought I was going to be a director, though I was kind of leaning towards the more arty side of production, maybe property master. I mean, that's kind of my what my level was going to be. And along came Spike and Mike, and they pulled me into their crazy circus, and I started um, seeing all this animation, and and not just clay animation and, and but I was seeing um, painted glass and I was seeing paper mache and just all these different kinds of ways of expression and all short too they their whole program is short animation so really nice quick fabulous stories just pulled me in and um, from, from then on I was like well th- you know I can actually this is something I can really sink my teeth into um, and I played a little a bit with titles only, like in my last year of um, college, I started doing down shooter um, style, just really, really simple titles. But I, I, I didn't ever feel like I was going to be an animator. I just knew that I wanted to be part of animation. That's really cool. So why, like, how did you actually get involved in the animation aspect of it, going from, you know, shooting titles and, and handing out flyers to becoming an animator and then obviously an amazing producer? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Well, t- tons of time spent sweating and working long hours on live action in the Bay Area. I worked on Pacific Heights, uh, Dying Young. I worked on MC Hammer videos um, and one of those videos, I, um, it was Bobby McFerrin's video. And the gal that I was working with, her name's Jill Rosica. She had been asked to work um, on this long-term project. And at the time it was like, you kind of wanted to work on short-term fast moving commercials and maybe a feature that was only three months. And she's like, I don't know if you're going to want to work on this, but I know you like animation. Dun, dun. It was a nightmare. And I was like, what? Of course I want to work on it. So she pulled me in as her assistant, a production coordinator. Um, and it was simple as that. Somebody knowing that I worked with Spike and Mike, worked in animation and said, You're, you, you like it, let's go. So that's what I did. So like, so you, I mean, we talked about how you started animation in 1991, but you graduated before that. How is mm-hmm. kind of the industry, like, what were you feeling at the time? Like, how did you actually get into everything versus like, how do people get into things these days? Well, I, and I think you mentioned, or you're going to mention maybe networks, but it is really just about who you're, who you know, and who you're yeah. working with. I was working with Jill and she knew I liked animation. And if I didn't, wasn't working with her, I don't know how I would have gotten into um, Skellington is the name of the production company we started um, from scratch in a big warehouse in South of Market, San Francisco. But um, just really knowing, always in the back of my head, knowing animation was going to be part of my future, just not knowing how to, how to pinpoint it. Um, but yeah, that came along. It was just a huge bonus for me 
So, so you knew animation was going to be part of your future, but you weren't like, mm -hmm. here's a very specific plan of how I'm going to get in there. Like I'm going to apply here and work my way up. It was more just kind of going with the flow and it turned out that way. It, it was. And I, I think part of, for, for me, it was um, being part of the prop. I don't know if you know much about live action movies, but prop masters and people that deal with all the props, there's, there's quite a bit of art involved where if you, if, if a film needs a particular prop and it has to be custom made, you have to either create it or get someone to make it for you. So there's a bit of art involved. So I knew that that kind of edge of like, oh, well, I need to get somebody to help me make a particular graphic, you know, maybe a dinosaur or something. So there was a little bit of, of the creativity in prop, ma uh, prop masters uh, work, but um, yeah, it wasn't, you're right. I, I, I know you're trying to sort of say, I did not have a set plan and I, and I wasn't trained in animation. Well, there wasn't yeah. really, UC San Diego didn't have an animation department per se. It was film film based. Um, I mean, really, if you look now, it's science based and math. We kind of snuck in there in the film group, small bunch of crazy punk rockers that we were. But um, there there wasn't a plan. It just really kind of went with. I went with the flow. Um, but once once working on Nightmare, and because it was long term, I mean, three years of working on a project, it's like, of course, that's I'm gonna head that way. Yeah, that becomes well. That becomes a huge part of your resume and skill set too. I'm wondering, you know, there's like the certain theology of like if you if you put out yourself into the universe, you know, the universe kind of takes you in and directs you in the right way. Do you think that kind of played a part? Like, did were you were you like putting out like I want to be an animator and everybody kind of knew that, or you wanted to sorry you wanted to get into animation and everybody knew that, so that when the right mm -hmm. opportunity came up, they like thought of you. I'm gonna say yes because I think. Um... Or, or, you know, my side hustle was working with Spike and Mike. And so, and, and I'd say, come with me to these shows. So I'd bring people to the festival with me and say, look at these shorts. It's amazing. Look at this animation. We, you know, we could do this. Let's try, let's try some of this, you know? So I was definitely exposing people to animation as well. So they knew that I was this kind of an animation geek, I guess, um, at that time. So that's putting it out there that I wanted to do that. But in addition to the prop master work, I also wanted to do camera work. I was like, I'm going to be a director of photography. So on Nightmare, I actually snuck down to the stages a lot and like, and would, you know, put my head together with some of the camera guys and said, show me everything. I want to learn about cameras. Um, so I was learning about cameras as well. And um, even though I ended up not doing that, but uh, it, it was, um, that was one great thing about Nightmare is very open. Yeah, non non union in the sense of you know people could touch other people's work. It wasn't like no, you can't pick up that because you're not union or you're not part of the camera. Oh really? Field. So so uh, in, I I mean I'm not familiar with how unions work in the U.S. So say you're in camera and you want to I don't know get involved in props. Is that a, is that a no? That's a big no no. Yeah. Oh no. So so like you can't do what you did back then now kind of thing. Oh, I couldn't. Yeah. If you know, they, they, there isn't the cross pollination, uh, maybe secretly or on the side, but people aren't going to be, uh, openly sharing their Oh, that's really ideas. sad. I Gosh. know. Cause, cause I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who loves to go around and see what everybody's doing and, and like figure out how other people are doing things and kind of <laughs> learn. But so when you're working on productions now, how, like that, I almost feel like there's some kind of like collaboration lost if in that sense. Well, what, ha what happened for me as a production person, because at, at some point I'm like, well, I'm not going to be an animator and I'm not going to be camera. 
I'm going to be that production person that goes out onto the floor, onto the stages. And I do ask questions because it's part of me planning the schedule. So I got to be the person asking everyone, you know, are, how many frames are you shooting a day? And, you know, what kind of technical difficulties are you having? How can we fix it? So I got to be, um, I ended up working on James and the Giant Peach on the next one. And I actually wrote that position for myself, which was assistant director. There wasn't even an assistant director on Nightmare. So I got to be AD on um, James doing that very thing of really being in the know and asking a lot of questions. So that's a position where you really get to know a lot and know all the people and know what they're doing because you have to, you have to find out how they're doing in their schedule. Is that, um, is that kind of why you've stuck with producing all throughout the years? I think so. You kind of, you kind of, uh, I love being that point of contact and, you know, having that, the information that makes it go forward yeah. is really a powerful <laughs> position to be in, you know, and well, how come this isn't moving? Well, that's because their motion control unit broke down. Well, let's move it here. Well, we can't move there because they need it on stage five in two days. You know, you just have that knowledge of everything. It's, it's sounds really, like your brain is like just a giant, like busy filing cabinet room with people running around with information. I can see it <laughs> right now. Things together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, well, what, what has kept you fueled throughout the years? Because you've, you know, you're working on new productions a lot you're, and then, you know, kind of sticking through it. So for instance, like nightmare, you were there for three years, then you worked on the next thing you worked in yeah. television, live action features, commercial, like what is, what is that thing at the end of the day? That's, that's saying, keep, keep going on this path. This is what I love. Well, it's not, it's not just one thing, but I will say collaboration, yeah. that, that feeling that you're really in, in together with, a core group of people. And if you can keep the crew down, which is what's so important in stop motion feature work, if we can keep it around 150 people, maybe even less, 130, it's just that unit and just keeping it through those years of those, that main group collaboration. But the feeling that we're, I've always felt that we're making magic. And for me, um, why wouldn't I want to work on something that's magical? So, that for me, it's really important that the story of what I'm working on is, is something I want to work on. I mean, I'm not going to, well, I don't want to say what I wouldn't work on, but um, <laughs> there's certain things that'll be like, ah, eh, this, I'm going to pass. It's not, um, you know, it's not up to my story standards or something, yeah. but. Um, are there other aspects of the job that, you know, aren't the greatest to do, like that come become kind of monotonous or, or whatnot after a while? Uh, I don't know about monotonous. Um, I well, I prefer if we can do a lot of the work on stage in camera. You know, I, I don't like a lot of the artificial effects. I mean, to be honest, I'm, I'm with not you a huge. Here. It stands <laughs> out so graphic. instantly when something's done on the computer versus in camera. Yeah, no, that that happens really takes me out of the magic. So yeah. for me, I love the in camera work. Um, making really elaborate motion control units that that move the camera constantly I like the like adding movement but do it frame by frame and not you know post movement um so that yeah that's there's the magic right there Heather, i'm just i'm just looking at like you've worked on i don't know dozens of productions like mm -hmm. an insane amount of productions every single year how, like how, was there ever a time where you really kind of struggled to to pursue this or things didn't go so well for you because 
when I talk to kind of, for instance, like animators, you know, the contract ends and they might be out of work for six months and, and mm -hmm. things might get hard. Does that happen with, with you as well? Yeah, that definitely happened with me. And even before I started, I, the stint I had up in, um, in Los Angeles, I moved to Hollywood. Let's call it Hollyweird and tried my hand at live action and was like completely soul sucked and almost like you know my my soul was just like smeared onto hollywood boulevard and i didn't think i was ever going to pick up from that when you're working like 14 15 hour days and then you're this little lowly person that's like bringing the film to the lab and you're thinking i'm responsible for this entire project and you're paying me like ten dollars an hour not paying for my gas i mean just horrible like really soul-sucking moments i thought i can't do this i can't do it so i moved back to san diego and i worked at a tower video and kind of just absorbed all the films at that point looking at them not actually working on them and just took a break for a little bit i yeah. didn't take a break but um and in between some of these jobs uh it might look good on paper the years might be there but there's often six months in between or i had you were to, kids if, in there too yeah, oh yeah of course if you good were to break. kind of graph out your feelings of like you know happiness and sadness and excitement and non-excitement how would it look like it seems like you got into the industry pretty quickly and then uh, like what you described you got overwhelmed i guess and and be like a tornado second. yeah and yeah. so how, yeah. do, how does that feel to like be in the thick of what you want to do and and you know this has been your career for the for the 25 plus yeah years yeah. so how does it feel to be in the thick of it and then say i don't this is too much for me and then stop. Like, did you, did you know that you would get back into it or like, how do you? Well, that, that was live action based. So yeah. I, I didn't think, yeah, the part where I said I couldn't do it was more about live action. Mm. Yeah. So when it, stop motion and animation in general has been very paced out for me. So that's been great. Um, there have been the breaks, like I said, but I always sort of knew with the connections I had there, there was always going to be another project. And right now animation stop motion is so hot. It's yeah. crazy how much is going on. We're the resources. It's like hard to find people like for, to get a crew together in some places. And, and we're even going outside of the U S and everywhere to just find some amazing crews. Um, but it, so I feel like that's, good energy for any animators out there just know that there's a project for you for sure that is great um, news to hear yeah um what you kind of said you know you are relying on there's always going to be a project that's something that i had a hard time coming to terms with because i had a past career in the business world where you know you can stay at a company for your entire career and then retire type mm -hmm. of thing like you don't have to like the, the you don't have to worry about what's happening in the next couple months and so coming into animation i know that you know you kind of have to rely on the industry to have projects going forward does that ever bother you or or like how do you how do you plan for your future knowing that you know it's not you can't you can't plan for it i guess well i think you need to be open about being a slightly nomadic um back in my day it was you definitely were kind of jumping from Los Angeles to, to Northern California. There wasn't these set studios that now there's, there's, there are more studios that are solid, like Leica up in Oregon, actually. Yeah. That's going to be there 
for a while. That's funded. They're, they're set. They're going to be there. So you don't have that nomadic feeling of like, oh, I'm going to travel to the next job. Um, but it's a little bit, I mean, live action people are the same way. You know, they're shooting in South Carolina. You're going to go to South Carolina for three months. Oh, gosh, we have some scenes in Texas, flying to Texas. So you just have to know, be a little prepared to maybe travel to the places that are filming. And it, COVID's you, changing all of that oh, yeah. too. We we might find states that uh, or countries that have a different system for filming and, and they're more open to allowing uh, filming to go on. That's for sure. Yeah, COVID is changing. It's it's interesting how animation is still thriving. Well, it makes sense. Is one of the mm -hmm. industry entertainment industries that's really thriving in this time. I'm, I guess thinking back through all the productions you've been through, like what has been the big biggest overall change in the industry that mm. you've seen because you've worked on, you know, things like Nightmare Before Christmas all the way up to producing a documentary this last year. Yeah. Um, I saw a very big change at the end of Nightmare, which was we were working with film. And at the end of Nightmare, we're switching to digital. Mm. So we, we were sort of, we were loading cameras every day and unloading cameras every day. And everyone's film was, you know, 35 millimeter film. It was just so um, risky, <laughs> um, it, but beautiful. I mean, the things you, the kind of lighting and, and, and moods and intensity you can get out of certain stocks of film is, uh, is amazing that, you know, people are, are striving for in digital still. But um, so I saw that happen. That was a bit, that was a bit, um, unnerving at the time we thought oh gosh what's going to change our jobs are changing yeah. and for a while like it was a we got on um well james's giant peach was the next feature film um but to to think that things were going to go so digital and then and then that people may not want to see stop motion creatures or characters it's like okay they're just going to want to create them in the computer that was huge so we all kind of thought we were out of work after nightmare what were you what were you thinking you would have to do if if you ended up out of work as a production person i thought i could go back to live action yeah. you know but i ended up working on um a tv show called bump in the night yeah you know? and that's one of my favorite so. shows as a kid <laughs> <laughs> i talked okay. to anthony scott about that one <laughs> oh, okay good oh um, anthony yeah what well, would you want to talk about kind of the biggest differences that exist in producing between like TV shows and feature films and commercials and all these, like what are the biggest challenges you're facing when you're working on a feature that's three years long or a TV show where yeah. you need to pump out an episode every week? Maybe that's well, the biggest challenge. Obviously right this time, the time that you just said yeah. it, it's like um, how you can, you still obviously want quality, but you're sort of forced to really speed things up in the, in the TV scenario or commercial work. So whether were you weighing the benefits on uh, how is it going to look um, versus taking the time for a feature? Um, and, and even then that people set certain standards or formulas for what can work for a feature. And they always seem to go, or we want to make them go longer because take more time to make them as beautiful as we can. But uh, it is, it's just about time, um, you know, speeding up, shooting in a different style, not on, you know, we shoot on ones on features, we shoot on twos, even sometimes more for commercial work just to speed it up. Do you have like different uh, people or crews you go to for when you know you're going to work on a TV show versus the feature? Uh, yeah, you tend to have a different crew for sure yeah. that that's going to um, 
well, first of all, the ones that are available to do um, feature work, you know, that that's long term. And, and some people do like the shorter work, you know, they're not as committed as long and they can just get in there and get out. Um, and you've got people that like that style. I know you, you talked about how, you know, your connections got you into the animation world. I'm wondering because, uh, you know, your career spanned mm -hmm. since the 90s have connections that you got at the beginning of the 90s are they still paying like are, are you still making new connections or is it kind of you've met everybody and you know connections from five years ago are paying off now or something like that like how does how does that all work <laughs> but you still the connections i made on nightmare are still solid and holding true um oh, wow. people like anthony scott um yeah. I do uh, the We Know Jack show podcast with Todd Lickenland. He's a fellow crew member, you know, still staying in touch that way. Um, and then people sort of are out there and other jobs come around. They're like, oh, well, try Kat. She'll, she'll be able to help you out. So I still get references from, from people that work with me on that. I'm like, and I may not have worked with them since. And they'll be like, well, you, I haven't worked with you since Nightmare. How do you know I'm any good? You know, but you, there was such a, great uh, sense of family on nightmare that we all recommend each other nice do you do specific like if you meet somebody who i don't know is like a owner of a studio or uh, another producer or something like that do you do specific things to make sure you stand out in their mind or to make sure that you have a good connection with them or or like how do you how do you establish the networking for yourself that is so specific of a question oh <laughs> no how do I sit? Well, I, I have been told I'm not out there trying to be crazy and different, but I'm not your, I don't, I don't sort of hold myself as your average producer. I'm not, yeah. um, I'm not very uptight. Um, I a little more casual in how I look and dress and tattoos and hair and all that. So for me, I think I stand out as more of this sort of rogue, this rogue producer um, a little more independent, kind of feisty. I'm going to get in there and, and pull it together for Gosh, you no matter what it takes. So you're um, not going up with a handshake and saying, hi, I'm Kat. Like, look out for me for your next project. Type not of deal. at just, all. You're just doing your thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I have a different sort of humor side to it all. It's got to be fun. So what is what is a reason that somebody comes to you specifically and says, I want Kat on this? I, I mean, stop motion is probably a big influence in that decision for someone but what do you think what do you think that is yeah it's not easy people people have no idea the what it takes to schedule these things and it, I have my own formulas and they change sometimes based on on the quality of the characters or the you just really it's sort of experience with scenery um character character count um, how are we going to do lip sync? That's huge. You know, is it going to be yeah. replacement heads or so very specific questions that, that can help um, me kind of narrow it down for them and saying, this is how long it's going to take. This is how much it's going to cost. And, and they trust my numbers because I've done a few of those now and they'll say, that's what they basically it's trust. I mean, honestly, if I'm going to tell you what it's going to, um, take to make it how they always come back and say well let's do it for half and I'll say no but um, that's definitely uh, part of it is just the knowledge of what it takes and, yeah. and puppet films are, are tricky because 
there's there's hybrids. You can do, uh, some people want to do a lot of backgrounds that are CG. Well, that changes it. It's not, it's not an all stop motion film then. So then I've got to work in CG uh, vendors and people doing all the backgrounds and let's do green screen. Well, okay, that changes this and that. So just knowledge of what it takes to make. When people come to you with projects, do they have all that information figured out already? And they're like, here's the information, or it, was, it sounds like there's probably a lot of research involved on, on your end. Yeah, you, sometimes I got to send them away and be like, you know, you need to think this through. Uh, many times people have thought, well, we're going to make, a, do a project and we just need one character of the hero. And like, never, never do you need one character, you know, one puppet. Even in the shortest films, you need two or three of the, even a short, just because so they get used so much that you're going to damage them and they don't look good anymore. <laughs> Wait, so um, somebody's like, we only need to make one, one. Yeah, oh my God. yeah they don't no. know. <laughs> so when I always do the multiples and I, I go through and I have all the scenes, I'm like, and for shooting reasons, if you only had one, you'd have to shoot linear, uh, linear li in line. But if you have multiples, you can be shooting several at the same yeah. time. And I, I'll explain that to them. So there are times when I've just had to be like, and, and you can't be like, well, duh, you need more than one. Um, I have to just explain to them if you wanted to make it in, you know, six months to eight months, we need eight of your yeah. heroes. And they're like, what? I can't believe it. And I was like, well, this is what we got to do. Who is the, yeah. when you're saying you're talking to this person, who is that person that you're talking to? They're usually another, a producer or EP. Um, uh, it can be the director too. Um, usually both, they come together a lot of times and just say, gotcha. oh, I've got an idea. I have a script. Uh, some of them have all the characters figured out. Some of them just have the main characters, but they don't always have the, the scenarios or the environment. So I have to break that down for them. So, so once you, levels. once you go with them with this big proposal, then it's, then it's kind of your job to meet all those expectations you set forth. Generally, there's so much back and forth though, because I will put everything in from security guards to yoga teachers to um what do you need a security guard for <laughs> well you never know the vault protecting the vault of the puppets you have I just what I, that's what i mean i, I do yeah. everything yeah. and then they come back and go no no we need to do it for less so i'll start peeling back and say okay we'll no take donut out the, tuesdays we'll take out the yoga instructor sorry um you know no masseuse and we I feel like a masseuse there. is required for any stop motion production because you get so stiff and like, yeah, like <laughs> you have to. Have you had any big disasters on on a project that have? Yeah, I mean, daily on some of them were <laughs> mostly like puppet problems and, and yeah. machinery. Breakage so what's the worst thing that can go wrong from from your perspective? Well, I mean, like you're always you're like, trying oh, to recover. Crap, I do not want to go back to the director with this issue. Like, what is that? Well, I think sometimes it can be generated from the director themselves. If they, if they're in a position where they've all changed the story that moment, or they've decided something that's on the board to schedule the shoot that that's been up there for weeks, they're like, I want to change the line. And you don't have that recorded or, you know, that's pretty dramatic. So you work around it, you either do a scratch, you record to scratch, or, which means it's not the actor. It's you bring in, a, you know, a technician or me. I've I done some scratch for, I was James for a while. I did scratch on uh, James. <laughs> when the kid who, the, the actor Paul Terry, who played 
James on James and Giant Peach met me, he was so angry <laughs> because he, he, I was female and he was like, <gasps> he was so upset that a female had done his scratch voice. But, <laughs> what? Um, I don't know. That's anyway, kind of, um, that's funny. So I would say director changes can be very hard to uh, incorporate into your life yeah. if they happen frequently. Um, and, and sometimes even just the, the technical side of how we're going to make some of the puppets work. Um, we, I generally, you try to be as simple as you can, but they get sort of complicated. I mean, there was a film I worked on. I won't mention it. Maybe I'll mention it later, the name of it, but um, we ended up doing very complicated breathing rigs inside the characters. And I thought, well, that's going to add so much time on the stage. And so I was pretty anti breathing rig. And I thought, couldn't we just heave the chest a little to make the heavy breathing happen? But the mass of the character was so big that there wasn't any way to do that. And so we, that R and D, I mean, I don't even, I could do the math for you. And I probably so much time was spent on figuring out about these breathing rigs. And I'm not even sure in the end we, well, we didn't do the film. Does that hint to what the film is? But we ended up not making that film. And um, I just think of the, oh, that R&D. I mean, that's what our research and development is, is to see if something's going to work. But you do spend a lot of time and money. Do you, well, it's, it seems I can guess what the film is <laughs> based on it not getting made. Right, right. Um, do, do you think that R&D was... 100% lost though or were you able to bring that to a future production or was somebody like hey we should do breathing rigs and, the, and then you knew yeah. about it I'm the wrong person to ask because I'll be like never ever talk about breathing rig in the same room with me <laughs> okay um, no just because it's um, that is what I would call over engineering or just really complicating puppets so um, then how involved are you in kind of the artistic expression or the scripts uh, like all the le like the level of what the film experience is for somebody watching it like how involved are you in that if, if you I am make decisions very happy to say that I am I have been fortunate and I don't know if it's me putting my two cents in as much as I can because of some of the experience. But when I'm in these meetings talking about budget, I'm able to bring some of that knowledge of, well, if we try it this way or we've done it this way or the hard heads versus the mechanical heads versus the paddles, I, I have some of that knowledge. So the I can say- paddle is like, as just the mouse? No, the paddle would be when you put a, uh, actually like a pl placement, like a lip, inside you know a wire but with a little paddle and you just oh you just go and up and down oh okay. yeah so i could bring that knowledge and say well why don't we do 10 characters that way that are medium to far away we won't see them close they're singing well you know things like that so i've been very fortunate and i hope to continue to be on my future projects involved in that creative side because um yes. if in order to do a proper budget uh, you have to know how th people are going to build things because it, you would be a, it would be a disservice to the budget to not say a certain portion is going to be built a certain way. Gotcha. So what is that, what is that like must have thing for you to take on a, on a project? 
must have. Um, like it sounds like you, you mentioned you love collaborating. You enjoy like you know being part of that process of the artistic direction in some aspect. Like what it, and you and you said before that you want to take on projects that you kind of believe in and and want to do. So mm -hmm. like, w yeah. what is that? What is that overall thing that you're like? Yes, I want to take this on. Oh, or did I just it, list it, it all? It, well, you did. No, it's got to be story. Um, yeah. You know, story, but boy, boy, design is close. I mean, if it looks bad, I don't want to work on it. <laughs> so are you reading the script before anything? Yeah, well, I oh, have wow. to because yeah. um, the first thing I ever ask for is a script. Um, and if they haven't done a character set breakdown, that's where I do it for them, page by page. You know, I, you do it. It's really simple, archaic, you know list the page and say how every time you see a character you, you do a tick mark and then all of a sudden at the end you have okay I, there's, he's in here he's in here 50 times out of an 80 page script you're going to need a lot of them um so script is very very important um, are there certain stories that excite you that you really are passionate about working on yeah i think for me um and i think i've said this before is um not with you though is animation for me because it has that magical edge i don't <clears throat> i, I want to see magical characters i want to see medusa i want to see dinosaurs i want to see characters that yeah. that are meant to be in this form of magic um as opposed to an entirely all populated humanoid does that right. make sense yeah yeah totally i, I think gotcha. the stop motion works with really fun because you can go so far out on a limb with aliens and yeah. all these great characters well and i think that's almost like where stop motion from the golden years of like ray harryhausen mm -hmm. spanned from you know it was special yeah. effects but all those fantastical things um, yeah so and i'm really just so brian with king kong yeah yeah exactly i'm just wondering you know when i when i think of producer like you mentioned it sounds like you have to be insanely organized you're on top of everything. But then, you know, once, once you pitch that proposal, it gets approved, what does your job turn into after that on the production? Are you like running around from stages to, to get people stuff? Are you like involved in finances? I, like, <laughs> Yeah, well, if you ask any of my family or my children, they'll be, they hate how organized I am. <laughs> they hate it, what? <laughs> yeah, I just like, I have a label maker, things are labeled, no, I, it, I, I'm, you have to be organized is the main thing and just staying on top of that. But um, for me, it's just following the money. You have just to be very uh, careful where all the money's going um, and that can change daily. So yeah. um, a line producer, what I do. So as a, here's the difference. There's producers that can work remotely and kind of check in. You do like weekly check-ins and, and they're following the budget, but they're not, dictating changes in the budget as a line producer it's very close to production manager in that you're daily having choices made over times you know oh i gotta work extra do you approve it or do you not so that all comes through line producers people that need to work long and, and sometimes it's not necessary and be like no you don't really need those extra two hours go home you know and, and just to be on it and know that they actually don't need to work more um, equipment failures um, and power outages. Uh, okay, that's that's happening. What do we do? Let the crew grow. 
bring in the power people. So you're there. You, you really need to be there as a line producer. Um, and the production manager is a little more in on the uh, working with the AD for scheduling and some of the, some of the tighter day-to-day stuff. But as a line producer, you're worried about the money and people are coming to you about big money changes, story changes, editorial. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah. Uh, you're not walking the floor though you can. Um, and I would, as a, I learned from Kathleen Gavin in nightmare before Christmas that and I would just, cause I'm a people person anyway, I'm not just going to sit in an office and do it from an office. I, you got to get out there and see how, what conditions they're working in. Maybe, maybe the shop departments you know, has no room for the large lumber they're working in. How can they paint this stuff if they don't have a spray booth that's safe, safe. So you got to kind of get out there and, and know the ropes. I, that's thanks for going through that. I, I feel sorry that I didn't ask you to give you highlights of your career beforehand, but you know, we've, we've mentioned uh, James and the giant peach and Nightmare before Christmas. Yeah. Do you want to, do you want to kind of go through some of the yeah, highlights? Well, I sure. And then, so in between the two, the features, I worked on a bump in the night and yeah. then also really fun kablam, a Nickelodeon show uh, called life with loopy um, with uh, wonderful Stephen Holman and Josephine Wong were the, the co-directors on that, creators. Um, and then I was fortunate to go to um, England to work on Corpse Bride. And I wasn't working with the main production filming, but I was working with McKinnon and Saunders, who, if you don't know, you should definitely look up. They're um, the major uh, force in puppet uh, building construction uh they do everything they've done the bob the builder every every european production and in fact even like fantastic mr fox they worked on a lot of the the puppets for that um isle of dogs you know they just make a lot of puppets so i got to work with them and we created all the puppets and then we sent them to we were down in manchester and we sent them to or up and we sent them down to um london um and then I worked as a vendor with Merrick Cheney and on Coraline. Um, so basically what that meant, we weren't in-house, we were uh, creating the armatures for all the puppets and sending them to Oregon from California. Um, so, and do, do, do. And then what do you want, do you want to know what I'm doing now? Uh, well, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you, cause you also did animation outlaws and well, of course oh, I yeah. what you're doing now, but um, I wanted to ask you, how do you know, like, you've, you've created some of your own projects and you've worked on other projects. Like, do you have a feeling in your mind when you know something is going to be successful or sell or whatnot? Like, what, what is that thing mm. that, that you know is going to be well received, I guess? Because you're at That's the interesting, yeah. start of I, projects. Right. Well, I worked out, I should have mentioned too, that Mermaids on Mars was a fun 20 minute, 25 minute short. And then... Um, we did a Cheetos commercial after that, and that was through Athena Studios in Emeryville, across the bay here. Um, but, and those just sort of came, one was commercial-based and Cheetos, you know? So I think commercials, I don't, you know, you don't always have like, ah, I have to work on it, but that was fun because it was skeletons and skeletons are awesome to work with. And we got to make these little creatures with them. Um, Mermaids on Mars is just a great little story. Um, so, I forgot where I was going with that. Just knowing if I wanted to work on it or just liking it. I can't remember what oh, you said. Uh, how do you know that a concept is going to be successful, like selling it wise? Like, I don't think, I, 
Well, I don't usually go into it knowing you just don't know. I don't think, you know, I don't know. I mean, a lot of times you're basing it on, um, it could be the actors that you get the project coming up. Um, we have Daisy Ridley voicing a character, Stephen Fry. I mean, so for me, that has success kind of built in. If they yeah. do a good job, all we have to do is animate to that wonderful story. The story is amazing. Jim Capobianco's story. I guess I'm going to talk about of Leonardo da Vinci. Amazing. Called the inventor. Um, this is a project I've been on since two, 2014. That's and I've done this, is, every this is what you're currently budget. working on now. Yeah. Um, I've done every budget from like shooting on an island that doesn't even exist yet to Canada to Mexico and Europe and US and half and half. And Wait, shooting on an island that doesn't exist? Well, I'm just making that up because it's <laughs> okay. so random of all these places we're trying to figure out where we can. How do you how do you know how to put a, together a budget in like Mexico versus Canada versus the USA? Like what? You kind of wing it in a sense. You get a you get a handle. You find a contact in that particular area, and you say, "I please give me some." consulting you can if you can get it for free you try that or you give them a little something and you consult with them and you get rates and then you just it's a formula in that sense but you just plug in going rates the main thing that gets everybody is uh what we call fringes which here in the u.s is quite large it's everywhere but it would be things like workers comp pension um health care it goes on top of that rate so oh, all wow. of a sudden you're paying someone $1,000 a week. Well, 50% more of that is all the fringes. So a budget isn't just a thousand a week. It's, you got to add all that. So Gosh. different countries, that's really different. And of course, yeah. different countries have tax breaks that help us. Like Canada. So yeah. you should do more in Canada. Um, <laughs> is this, so is this your, is this your baby then? Like this is out of your mind? Uh, yeah. Well, it's my budget I've been working on so hard. And then now we've got a wonderful co-group uh, out of France, Folioscope, nice. that that has been really working hard on getting the budget going. They're currently shooting a stop motion feature right now. So the fact that we could roll right in would be perfect. Um, so, so what does yeah. that mean? You know, you're, you're, you have the concept together, you have some celebrities that have said yes, and, mm-hmm. and I don't know if they've done their recordings already, but you're putting together a budget to hope to sell it to a studio who's gonna take it on, or investors, yeah. like what does well, that mean? We, because it's not been sort of grabbed yet by a studio, um, like the big ones always mentioned, mm-hmm. we are trying to do more of a European style, which would be smaller, smaller, maybe even European distribution, places would take um, certain percentages. So instead of one big company giving us money, we might get money from four different places. So that's kind of where we're at. And we're also going to launch a Kickstarter in the next day or two. So um, more information about that. Why would a studio give you money? Is that, is that like a deal where they're saying, you know, we'll help fund this, but we get a percentage of the rights when it's, yes. when it airs? It, not the right. It's yes. So they'll get percentage of the sales. So they'll get sales. percentage of how right. well it does. Yeah. So then are you involved in that as well? Or is that, is that, is oh, have a, we have another producer, Robert gotcha. Ripberger is heavy, heavy into the sales part of it. So they have to do a lot of 
prediction. So, so complex. God. It, yeah, there's a lot of prediction. So he goes out and he he has to he has exposed he exposes that script. And the scary thing about that is so many people are going to start seeing it that it could be stolen. Okay. Oh, <laughs> so you don't want you know you sign NDAs and you don't want all these so many people knowing about it. But um, they do predictions of like how this is how well it's going to do. Well, it's going to do it's going to be great in Italy, right? Because it's Leonardo, and so you we have all these predictions of how well it's going to be done. So, so I'm trying to figure this out in my head. Say for example, um, he <laughs> goes to Amazon prime and is like, Hey, we're developing this thing. We have the concept we're almost production. Would you be interested? And then Amazon prime would say, yes, maybe. And then that helps you get a studio interested in it because you have a contact. At- yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's a simple, <laughs> if they, if they said they're interested, that'd be great. And, and, and Jim Campobianco has gone to a few places and they just, they got saturated with content. Yeah. yeah they're like, hey, we don't, another animation thing. Not right now. Not right now. Well, like, well I'm, assu- I'm assuming there's, you're not the only group of people doing this. There's probably, I don't know, I'm yeah. countless other productions trying to be made at the same time. So mm-hmm. what is that thing that ends up being the check mark that puts everything into place? You mean a studio giving money or a or, or is, a that, is that just it? A studio's like, yes, we'll give you the money. So let's start. Yeah, and it could be as simple as, I mean, because this story is so unique and great. And Jim Capobianco won an Oscar for Ratatouille. I mean, the guy has clout. Yeah. Um, we, I really am confused as why someone hasn't picked it up. <laughs> but in some way, it we're kind of fortunate that we we could keep it really independent and we won't have a big person changing the story yeah it doesn't need to be changed he's done a great job um so yeah what does it take it 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 could just be as simple as one place seeing it and giving us that big check but i think with the kickstarter launch basically is paying for the animatic we just want to pay the Mm. editor to finish the animatic i was going to ask you that yeah yeah it's not a huge request. Uh, I mean, I don't think for a Kickstarter amount. Um, and then we, we actually have some wonderful animator gifts in there, which it's like, well, you could actually be a character in the film maybe, or you could, uh, we've got some animation uh, masterclasses oh, nice. where we get, we're going to pull in some of the animators that people, animators that have worked on Isle of uh, Dogs and other films that would do a little masterclass that animators oh, wow. would be involved in. That your connections are paying off like crazy right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. No, this is this is fantastic. I hope it. I I hope everything comes together very soon because it'd be awesome Thank to see you. kind of follow the production of this. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you about the We Know Jack show. Do you want to Do you oh, want to talk about you. why you started that? Because you also there you go. If you're watching this on <laughs> YouTube, you can see that she's wearing the We Know Jack. I only have ten of these, but I'll make sure. more and then. If people listen and we find out, maybe I'll send shirts. So I shouldn't say that because I don't have to send shirts everywhere. You heard it here um, first. She's sending shirts to <laughs> no, you. No, you no. Listen to it. <laughs> well, um, you, you started this podcast very recently, actually, in the past like couple of years. So why yeah. did you decide to start it now after all this time passed? Oh, gosh. It, was, it really came together quite quickly because we had a 25-year reunion two years ago. And... The crew was filmed here in San Francisco. So the crew, a lot of the crews maintained their location here. And we all met at, um, actually it was at the ranch, uh, Skywalker Ranch. So that was a great reunion. And then we had, we had actually two in a short period of time. And um, um, 
Todd Lookinland, my co-host, um, we were just sort of talking about different parts of the room and people were telling these amazing stories that no one had ever heard of before. We're like, hang on, I worked on that film and I did not know that. Or, you know, basically that was it. So Todd's like, well, why don't we just pull together some of these stories? And um, that's kind of how it started. And it's really gone. I mean, we're getting some amazing stories out of people. So, and hopefully things that, that haven't been told, you know, not rehashed. Yeah. And we're, we're talking to people that normally don't do interviews or talk, talk to people. So it's kind of like, well, you know, Randy Dutra, who helped figure out the whole, the jackhead sculpts. It's like, listen to what he has to say. You're not going to hear this anywhere else. Yeah. Um, animation talks are great with Anthony Scott, Tim Hiddle. We'd love to get um, someone like uh, Trey Thomas on there just to we had, we got and um angie glocka the one of the only female animators on there owen clote um just really great stories because you know it comes down to basically none of us knew we were working on such a iconic film and we just were trying to get through those frames every day stephen buckley's is really funny i don't think his is released yet his has been really hilarious <laughs> he just talks about the sweat and the anguish and the pain of waiting to see film right because it's yeah. not digital you couldn't, you couldn't watch it that, that moment. You had to wait the whole next day and you're just like not sleeping and waiting for your film to be seen. Yeah, so, I think, I think um, Anthony Scott was talking about that, how everybody would gather around and be really excited on how it turned out. And you don't really have that anymore because you can just watch it right away. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, there was a whole moment, the, the screening room in the morning, dailies we called them, was like a make or break moment. I mean, Henry was buying the shots in that room. Oh, really? He sh he'd be like, there's a take. I, I was actually the one in the morning who'd go through and like, right, it's a take, a take, a test, a pop through or whatever. So takes were listed first. Dead quiet when those takes came on. They were on a loop. So he'd only see them like three times. Well, before we figured out the loops, we finally had to set a limit because it would just keep going. You know, you, you, you'd, um, splice the film together and that take would just go and go and it could be looked at a million times so finally someone i don't know who maybe pete kazachek said we needed to limit the amount people see it like it three times because you're not going to see it on the screen but just that moment right but yeah he would sit there and henry would just sit there and everyone's like not breathing when the take takes come up <laughs> and then they and he'd he'd either go oh that's great that's great and drag his hands through his hair that's good that's good or it might be quiet, you wouldn't hear anything. And everyone's like, no, he didn't like it. He didn't buy it. So. Then, the, then you had to redo that shot, I guess. Yeah, we didn't have too many redos, to be honest, but it was that moment of like, maybe he wasn't 100% happy with it. But, nice. but when he was, you, everyone knew, everyone knew. That's, that sounds like a very iconic kind of experience. <laughs> well, right, so, so why not have a podcast to tell yeah. those moments? You know, oh, that's exactly. great. Yeah. Well, and I think if anybody's in stop motion listening to this, they should definitely check it out because you're, you're probably just going to learn anecdotes that can even help you out in, in what you're doing from, from hearing their experience. Sure. I mean, I think even maybe even trying to film without the, the crutch of, of viewing it so many times yourself, like, oh, it's, I don't know. I think that's actually a hindrance or a handicap maybe. Oh, for sure. Sometimes it, 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 for me, I've noticed that if I view something too many times, I lose that original reaction I have. And then it almost seems acceptable, even if I know that things are bad. Cause you know, you just, your brain gets used to it and you're like, you this get is used to it, yeah. so mm -hmm. it's, it's like hard to, 
have that. Yeah, there should be a, just like the loops. feeling of the initial reaction. The way we limited the limited the amount of time seeing it, because if you think for for feature work anyway, you're it's just up on that screen for that moment. Yeah. No one's dwelling on it. But the thing that was crazy is Henry in those only three times would be like his finger needed to move three more frames to the left. I mean, he was he's <laughs> prolific. I mean, he's an amazing director for animation. Oh wow, gosh. Um, is there is there any? I'm just thinking back on our kind of chat as we wrap up. Is there any overall yeah. advice that you wish you had received throughout your whole career? Now looking back, advice. Let me think. Um, <laughs> Well, kind of hearkening back to what I said about projects will come along. I mean, if, you, if you're putting the energy into it and you're creating work or you're, you've done some work, you're going to make those connections. One job will do it. One job will do One it because you're going to meet the production manager. And that production manager will hire you. If you're good and you're not a pain in the butt, <laughs> not complaining about things, you will get hired again. Yeah. Um, for your work because you're doing it and you're producing frames and so work will come um, and at least down in the states here we can we used to be able to go on unemployment so many people would go on unemployment on those six month stints in between I don't know what it's like up there and I don't yeah, even we, know we have that too, yeah. COVID times you know it, don't be ashamed to do that there was often you'd see all you'd see half the crew at unemployment line. Oh, hey, what's up? <laughs> you know, because everyone gets all you know ends a job around the same time. But, um, I, I meant to ask this at the beginning, but maybe I'll ask it now. Maybe it ties into what you just said. But what is the, kind of the overall feeling that you hope somebody gets from listening to your to your journey and and experience and all and all the things you've worked on over the years? I I would say just trying even though I had mentioned earlier about not being able to try different levels or different positions, just be aware of them and know what that other person is going through. I wouldn't, so not to be focused tunnel, tunnel vision, it, to, to collaborate and work with other people. You got to know how hard it is for that other person too. Um, you know, as an AD, I really learned that on, on Peach going through and talking to people and seeing how, how hard it was for some of them or, you know, some of them are crawling up under the set and going up underneath and having to open a trap door and animate through a trap door and get down again. I'm like, that's good. That's physically wear and tear on you. So I understand and like, listen and, and not be like, wait, it, not just to walk in and be like, you should have been done already. You know, that, that yeah. doesn't help. So knowing uh, other people's positions, I guess would be a kind of a takeaway just to question and ask, ask questions. I think that's really valuable and important and, and it, it makes you a more, I, be, I bet people want to work with you more because they know that you're taking the time to understand them at, this, at their level of what they're doing too. I think so. I get that feeling from, from crews I've worked with that they'll be like, oh, you were you know, one of the nicer ones we've worked with or you, <laughs> you listened to me. That's good to hear. Like, cool. One of the nicer yeah. ones. <laughs> you, you bought beer for us on Friday. I'm like, yeah. So beer Friday. In the budget. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I told you, I keep everything's in there. <laughs> you have like a beer, a beer fund. I love oh, that. It might be called entertainment or something. So. <laughs> is it, is there anything else that you wanted to share in our, in our chat? I forgot another little project that, that, I, that could, well, that's one thing too, as a line producer, producer, I, I, there's often a lot of little things I have my fingers in until, until we actually get a green light. 
I, I should be having other things going on, but one's called uh, If Crickets or Crick, Crickets Would Sing. And it's, um, will be a short. And um, that that's another little project I'm working on up here in the Bay Area. And I hope it gets off its feet, but that's would be uh, privately funded. Um, pretty intense topic about the Holocaust. So that oh, would be wow. interesting. Okay. That gets Is it through. stop motion too? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Stop motion. And um, we call him Mauchi, the director. He's, he's very technically savvy. So he's trying to use a lot of um, modern uh, skill set with um, maybe even like motion capture facial stuff, which I haven't done with puppets. So, mm. so the puppet body, but a motion capture face. Yeah, yeah, I've seen some examples of that. I shouldn't say that, but anyway, he's, he's going to be working on that. Um, and so he's, COVID stalled that whole project. We were going to start shooting in April. Gotcha. Um, but I believe that's still being worked on. Merrick Cheney's doing some of the armature work. Um, but I think just generally, um, the Animation Outlaws thing is still going. Please check it out uh, if you can. It's on, available Amazon.com. Oh, here's something interesting. Um, an animator that lives over your way, Juliana Cox, okay. Peyton Curtis. They own a theater called The Gorge or Gorge. Do you know it? No. It's probably north of you somewhere. It's not in Toronto proper. Okay. Um, they're going to screen it. They're going to screen Animation Outlaws. Oh, no way. That's awesome. Yeah, they're trying to figure out their live audience situation so it probably wouldn't be until they can actually get people in the theater which could be a month or something out i don't know if you guys are doing theater um uh, theaters, theaters have just opened up but you have mm -hmm. to like book your seats online and there i've also heard it's like two dollars because they're just trying to get people in yeah so yeah so the gorge i'll let uh, you know we'll know i'll put that on my animationallows.com yeah. Website when we get in there. But I'm also part of like San Francisco Indie Fest is doing a virtual festival. It's going to be in that in September. Um, you can see the trailer on the website. It's kind of fun. You know, we've got a lot of big names in the industry in my doc. Um, that's like Mike helped with their short films like Nick Park. And, you know, you saw it. Yeah, um, no, it was really cool seeing. It's, it's like a little piece of history that I hadn't really heard of. I'd heard of Spike and Mike anecdotally, but to know how influential it was and, and to see all that yeah. firsthand and, and you know, they are sharing their stories on the documentary too. And you've got all that fun footage of how crazy the festival actually was. Yeah. It's really neat yeah. to see all that. Thanks. Well, and I think they had made it up to Vancouver, but not your way, not out no, to the no. east side. <laughs> um, you know, very US based festival, film festival. But, um, and then what else? Oh yeah, I'm uh, got work at Stupid Buddies studios right now as well yeah, congratulations so, thank you you're doing so much i don't know how <laughs> what organizations you're thinking yeah. i guess <laughs> yeah that's how just i have different binders 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 all right <laughs> Keep everything in binders and then when that person calls you're like oh let me hang on let me grab that binder um <laughs> did you grab yeah. your podcast interview binder when when uh we no but it is on a piece of paper oh there we go all right <laughs> So this has been so fun. Thank you, Terry. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the second time. And I enjoyed learning all about, you know, how you made your career thing too. So thanks. Good. I hope, hopefully you helped somebody out and they might be inspired and hang in there. Stop motion is hot right now. So yeah. um, we'll be needing animators at some point. So I hope to hear from some of you. Who knows? Tell there me, we go. Well, if I talk to you, tell me you listen to this podcast and then I'll know where you heard about it.
Yeah. So if you're listening, tell Kat you heard it in this episode and also make sure that you check out all those wonderful things that she shared. Animation Outlaws, um, her We Know Jack show on iTunes and the Inventor Kickstarter. And I'll include all those links in the description of this podcast. So please check them out and uh, help support Kat's projects. And that's all for now. So thanks so much for listening. Okay, bye.